Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. I'm excited to be up here. I'm excited to share with you what God has shared with me. And I'm excited to share communion with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have quite a bit to say today. So we're going to go ahead and get rolling with this. Um, I like pictures. I like to put words with pictures. And so last night, as I was putting this together... um, I decided that I wanted to do a bunch of pictures with what I wanted to say. So please bear with me as I flip through some slides today. If they speak to you, great. If not, it's for my benefit as much as it is for yours. So let's go ahead and get started here. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I thank you for the year that you have given us. And I thank you for the year that is to come. Lord, we understand that you will be with us. You have been with us all along. You'll continue to be with us. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified this morning, this afternoon, this evening, and Lord, for all of the days to come. May our actions give you glory. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So today what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about on the cusp. And if you're not familiar with that term, what it means is to be on the edge of something that's about to happen. It's a point of transition, a moment of change. And so what I want you to do is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to imagine nothing. As best you can, though impossible... I want you to imagine eternity when nothing was present other than God. The very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, just before that, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on the cusp of creation. Now, I don't know what you saw with that little exercise but this is what i saw now i don't want to be irreverent here but that's me and my son and when i think of god the father and god the son at the moment of creation i think what it would be like for my son and i to be at that moment and this is my picture david and i wouldn't be able to stop grinning we would be poking each other in the ribs this is going to be big oh this is going to be awesome yeah let's do it And I think that is the excitement that God had as he was on the cusp of creation. Now, your mental picture may be a little bit different than mine. And I don't mean to be irreverent, and I hope I didn't offend anyone with that. And I also picture the Holy Spirit here. And quite honestly, I picture the Holy Spirit kind of like my wife, right? And she's standing about three steps to the side, her hand on her hip, shaking her head and saying, boys. But I do believe that there was excitement in in the Trinity as creation, as they were on the cusp of creation. And then God speaks. 
and the heavens and the earth burst into existence. And from that moment on, creation has been on the cusp of something new over and over again. We'll get to our passage in Romans here in a few minutes, Romans 18, or Romans 8, 18 through 25. But in that passage, we will see that creation has been groaning in anticipation for what is to come. I believe that when we read through the book of Genesis, as we read through the seven days of creation, after whatever that looks like, that each day as God created, creation was groaning in anticipation of what was going to be next. And then I think of Adam. And I think of Adam as he was given the assignment of naming the animals. And don't you think Adam anticipated what that next thing might be? And after he had seen the elephants and the rhinoceros, do you think that he thought, well, there's nothing stranger than that out there? And then this guy shows up. That's a platypus in case you can't tell. That's the strangest looking animal on earth. So I do believe that um, Adam had anticipation. And then he sees Eve. And he knew that this was something different. I mean, Adam's a man. And without sin in his heart, he saw Eve and he anticipated a relationship with her that was going to be different than any relationship that he had had before. And I believe that there was anticipation with Adam and Eve as they were on the cusp of a new relationship with God. And then comes the enemy and temptation and disobedience and the fall. And I hope that maybe this picture shocks you a little bit. Maybe even scares you. Because it should. Because this is something new. This is a new experience. Adam and Eve are afraid. For the first time, they know fear. They understand sin, and they understand that there's a consequence from sin. And as a result of that, they hide. God is walking through the garden looking for them, and they are trying to hide from him because they're afraid. And because of their sin... They experienced fear for the first time. And because they understood that there were consequences for sin, they got to witness death. Blood was shed because of their sin. And they were expelled from paradise. Imagine Adam and Eve standing on the outside of Eden, never to return. Because of their sin, their relationship with God, and surely even their relationship with each other, was changed forever. They were on the cusp of something new. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And as we read Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, I want you to imagine Adam and Eve standing on the outskirts of Eden, no longer able to go back to the paradise they knew. What did that new reality look like for them, and how did they face it? So Romans 8, 18 For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So as we go through our time this morning, I'll be referring back to this passage, to bits and pieces of this passage. But the underlying theme is that creation is waiting. Creation has been waiting, has been on the cusp of something new, time and time again, ever since that first moment that man stumbled. So if we go a couple of chapters later in the book of Genesis, we run into the story of Noah. And imagine Noah. And imagine the angels as they listen to God tell Noah to go build a boat. Now, I don't know what the relationship between God and angels is like, But here's what I think. God, are you sure about this? Eight of them isn't very many. They haven't done well so far. And this whole boat, flood, rain thing. Really, God, you just created heaven and earth. I know you could come up with a better plan than that. There are so many things that could go wrong. So many ways that they could fail you. But God has a plan. And so the angels watch as the rain begins. As the floodgates of heaven and earth open and water pours onto the earth, river after river, tsunami after tsunami. And the angels watch as those eight tiny little human beings get in this man-made craft and enter this world of water. I'm sure hoping Noah and the boys didn't miss putting a peg in one of those boards. I'm hoping they didn't miss filling one crack with pitch so that the water could stay out. I hope they chose those boards wisely and there's not a weak spot. There's not a knot that's going to pop out. I hope they've loaded that boat well that that rhinoceros and that elephant are on opposite sides so they don't tip over. Man, there was a lot of things that could have gone wrong. But then the sun comes out and the rain stops. The waters recede and that ark touches dry ground. In due time, those eight little human beings come out and they face something new. The storms are over. Their past is completely gone. Their entire future is in front of them. How do you think they faced it? Do you think that they dwelt on the past? All the suffering, all the pain. Or did they, as we read in our passage from from um, Romans, like Paul, did they considering the sufferings of this present age not worth comparing to the glory that God has in store for us? Did they hope, even though they couldn't see what they were hoping for? 
Did they groan in anticipation of what God was going to do for them? How he was going to reveal himself to them? Did they wait with anticipation, with trust that God was going to follow through on the promises that he had made to them? I think they did. Not perfectly. They were human, just like us. There's another story that I think we can learn something from, and that's the story of Abram. And yes, Abram wore tennis shoes back then. So Abram was a man for whom things were going really well. He was prosperous. God had blessed him. And then one day God says, Abram, pack up. It's time to go. I'll tell you where you're going once you get there. Now, Abram's not a young man when this takes place. Abram's probably around 75 years old. And I can tell you, you grow some deep roots in that time. And it's not easy to pack up and go some, go, God only knows where. And that was literally true for Abram. God only knows where. When there's no good reason to leave. Other than God has told you to. And I wonder what Sarai, his wife, thought of the whole thing. God didn't tell her. What was it like for her to leave her family? To leave her friends? To give up her life? And this wasn't just a temporary day trip. This was truly a life change. They were to move and they would never come back. And they faced some trials along the way. God made promises to them, but he didn't give them a timeline. He didn't say when he was going to fulfill his promises. And as Abram and Sarai walked in obedience with God, they began to doubt God's promises. They didn't doubt so much that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, but they doubted his timeline. And they doubted how God might do that. So they did what we tend to do, and they tried to help God out. Now the story goes on, spoiler alert, doesn't end well. They kind of make a mess of things. And at that point, God could have said, you know what, I made a, I made a promise to you. I asked you to do this, and I said I would do this. You didn't hold your end of the bargain. I'm done. But that's not, what, that's not what God does. God came to Abraham and Sarah, and he said, I made this promise. I've never broken my word. And I'm not going to start with you. Wait for me. And so Abraham and Sarah again receive these promises of God. And they have to wait. And they have to wait for 14 years. And in fact, they waited so long that it was no longer possible for what God had promised to do to happen. It was physically impossible for them to have children because Abraham was an old, old man. And Sarah was a woman beyond her childbearing ages. Because even in the Bible, we don't call a woman old, right? So they were facing an impossible situation where God could not do what he had said that he would do. And so what does God do? God does the impossible. 
to this old man and to this woman who was beyond childbearing age, a child was born. Isaac. And how did Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, just imagine their anticipation and their excitement as they face this new thing. And not only Abraham and Sarah, but all of creation as God had promised that through them, the, everything, all the blessings would come upon man. Imagine as creation is groaning in anticipation for God to reveal the sons of man. And there are so many moments like this in the Bible. Just a few years later, Abraham is told to take this precious child of his that he had waited so long for and to sacrifice him, to kill him. Abraham, out of obedience, packs up what's needed to be taken for this to be done. And he and Isaac travel to a mountain that they were told to go to. And everything is prepared. And Abraham is ready to strike down his son. And we read in the book of Hebrews that Abraham was willing to do this because he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead in order to keep his promise. You see, Abraham had hope. He had hope of something that he couldn't see, but he believed God would bring it through. We also have the story of Moses and the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the Red Sea. Imagine what it was like for the Israelites on the other side of the Red Sea. Their past is behind them. Slavery is over. They are free and facing the future. They have the promises of God in front of them. They were on the cusp of something new. Surely they looked at that and recognized that their past sufferings were not worth considering compared to the future glory that God had in store for them. Did they keep their eyes fixed on the prize? No, unfortunately they didn't. And we have the stories of David and Solomon. We have stories of true and false prophets. We have stories of um, exiles and homecomings, disobedience and repentance, successes and failures, shames and celebrations, anticipations and disappointments. And the Bible is full of all of them. And our lives are full of all of those as well. All of creation groans in anticipation of where it's all going. And our groans are right there with them. And that brings us to the greatest cusp that's ever been thus far. Imagine that first Christmas. Imagine the anticipation in heaven. The anticipation of creation as God reveals his plan. The Savior, the Messiah, long promised. And now he's come. All of creation is on the cusp of a new covenant, a new interaction with God. God in the flesh. What must that anticipation have been like? And surely all who understood what was going on recognized that their past sufferings were of no consequence compared to the glory to come. Expectant anticipation. Hope. 
That's how we're supposed to live our lives. Now, I'm going to ask the guys who are going to be serving communion to please come forward. And this is going to look a little bit different. Because I'm just going to keep rolling. So what's going to happen is these guys are going to come up here and they're going to serve. The communion will come around. I'm going to ask you to just hold on to the elements, your cup. And then once everyone has it, we'll take communion together. So after the cusp of the birth of Christ, Jesus walked on earth among us. And one particular evening, there's a group of Christ's closest followers. They were so close to him that he called them brothers. And they were gathered with him to celebrate this Jewish, pas- this Jewish feast of Passover. And they'd been through a lot already. And Jesus had told them a lot of things. He had shown them many things. And then he, had t- he told them that their time was coming to an end. In fact, just a few days earlier, as they were heading to Jerusalem, he had told them something was going to happen. But they didn't understand what he was talking about. And at least partially the reason they didn't understand is because they didn't want to understand. Because you see, they believed that Jesus was their Messiah. They believed that Jesus was their Savior. But they wanted Jesus to be the King, the Messiah that they had in their minds. They had expectations. They had anticipations. And what Jesus told them was not going to meet those expectations. Because Jesus said, I'm going to die. And the Savior of the world couldn't die. The king that they wanted him to be couldn't suffer like that. And so they didn't understand what he was talking about. Because they chose, at least partially because they chose not to. The week before... This night that we're talking about, Jesus had entered the city to the shouts of Hosanna, glory to God. And I'm sure the apostles were like, oh, yeah, this is more like it. This is what we're talking about. But then on this night, Jesus had done an unthinkable thing for a king to do. He had lowered himself to the position of a servant and he had washed their feet. And then he started telling them these series of things that they needed to do. They needed to love one another. Love one another to the point of giving up their life for their brother. He told them to serve one another. Just as he had served them. And he told them that you need to keep doing these things even when I'm gone. And that I'm going to be leaving soon. I'm going to a place that you can't go. Not yet. But when I get there, I'm going to send you somebody. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And as his brothers, as these men who had followed him all of this time, heard all of these things, they didn't understand it. It didn't make sense in their minds because their anticipations, they were were caught up in the sufferings of this present world. 
They weren't looking forward to the glory to come. Soon enough, they would understand. They would get it. And though things weren't going to work out like they expected them to, things were going to work out in a way that was greater than they could ever imagine. And this honor that we're about to partake in, this taking of communion, was instituted on that night. And Jesus said that this is something that those who are, that is supposed to be done by those who believe in him as their savior. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you can't say that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, we would ask that you just take that cup and set it down. There's a place in front of you there, a little round cutout. Just set it in there. And just sit and listen and observe. Because this is a family thing. And we would love for you to be part of our family. We would love to sit down and talk to you about Jesus. We'd love to have you be part of our family. So if I'm talking to you right now, come down here after church. There'll be some of us down here. We'd love to talk to you about what Christ means to us, what he can mean to you. And we'd love to have you be part of our family. For those of us who do believe in Christ, who are followers and sons of God, we are to recognize that this isn't just a piece of bread. This isn't just a cup of juice. These represent the body of Christ that was given for us. These represent the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Because as we learned at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, wherever there is sin, there has to be the shedding of blood in order for there to be the forgiveness of sin. The wages of sin is death. And all have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What those two passages mean is that every one of us, you and I included, are a sinner. And because we are a sinner, we deserve to die. And not just that mortal death that everyone dies, but the death of a soul. Eternal hell. That's what we deserve for our sins. And if that were where the story ends, there would be no hope. We would be on the cusp of eternal damnation. We would be on the cusp of going to hell for eternity. But that's not where the story ends. Because Jesus did come as God in the flesh. He did live and he did die and he was risen again. His body was given and his blood was shed that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And God be glorified. Do you have that hope? Are you living in expectant anticipation that the sufferings of this world cannot compare to the future glories that God has in store for you? As we prepare to take communion, I just want to give us a minute to reflect on that. Is there an area in our life where we are not allowing ourselves to live in expectant anticipation of the glory ahead of us? Is there an area in our lives that we are more concerned with our present sufferings than we are 
with our future with God. And if there is, let's have a conversation with God. Let's talk that out. I'm just going to have a moment of silence where we can do that. On that night, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took the cup and with his brothers... He said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As we reflect on this, it brings us back to our passage. And it's important to realize that all that we've talked about so far took place before Paul wrote this. See, when Paul wrote about creation groaning in anticipation of something to come, he was writing about something that would come after the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. You see, creation today, and we ourselves, should be groaning in anticipation of something to come. And Paul says that what we're eagerly waiting for is for this adoption process to be completed, and for the redemption of our bodies. And you don't want to sit here long enough for me to try and explain what that means, but really what it comes down to is that there is a relationship in store for us with God that's going to blow our minds. There is something coming that is so great that God has only given us a glimpse of what it is. Because we wouldn't be able to understand it even if he told us. We have no frame of reference. There is nothing in our experience that can compare to what's coming. And this is the hope in which we are saved. And this is the hope that we are supposed to live with expectant anticipation because Jesus is coming back and we have a hope and we have a future and that future exceeds anything that we might have that we might hold that we might even imagine in this life so as we face a new year and we think back to some of the moments that we looked at in the Bible that we've touched on today We have to understand that being on the cusp of something new can have lots of different emotions. I picture God, Father and Son, at that moment of creation, just filled with joy every step of the way. I imagine that Noah had a little bit of fear 
as the rains came. We look in the Bible and we see that Moses was not at all confident how that thing was going to work out. David wondered where God was. The prophets wondered what was taking God so long to act. Jesus and his, or Jesus' disciples didn't understand what he was up to until after he was gone. Some things we cannot wait for. Other new things we could go an entire lifetime without. Some things bring joy. Others fear. Some bring certainty. Others anything but. Being on the cusp of something new make, may make you feel joy, hope, sorrow, disappointment, fear, uncertainty, or rock-solid confidence in what's going to be. My family and I are facing something new. We're going to go to Liberia in about three months. And I can tell you, in the last nine months, I have felt every one of those emotions I just named and more. And there have been some days I've cycled through every one of those in the same day more than once. Maybe being on the cusp of this new year brings you some of those emotions. Maybe you're excited for what's going to happen, for what you're anticipating. Or maybe there's fear or uncertainty. Maybe you're worried, but maybe you're not. I don't know. We're all different. We all have different things in front of us. Different small things. Different things of this world. What Paul said of this present age. But one thing we should all have in common. One thing that all believers in Christ do have in common. Is that we are on the cusp. Of not just something new. But of all things new. You see in the Bible. In the last book of the Bible. God promises That there is something coming. He gives us a glimpse of the future. And he's going to make all things new. So similar to what we did at the beginning, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. To the best of your ability, I'm going to ask you to quiet yourself. To be still and know that he is God. I want you to imagine a moment when we are all together in the presence of Christ. All the worries and the woes are past, and we are on the cusp of all things being new. A new heaven and a new earth, because the present heaven and the present earth are about to pass away. Imagine the excitement as we watch. Imagine the anticipation as we see God and Jesus. Maybe they're elbowing each other in the ribs, cracking up and saying, wow, this is going to be big. This is going to be amazing. Yeah, let's do it. This is what we are on the cusp of. This is what creation, this is what we are groaning for. And my application for today is very simple. Live like you believe it. Live your lives in anticipation of that future to come. Live like the sufferings of this present age are not worth considering 
compared to the glory that we are promised. Live like everything of this world is going to pass away. Because it is. Live. But realize that this life is by no means the end. So as the worship team comes forward, I want to share a final thought with you. So there was a, a guy by the name of Winston Churchill, and when I put this together, I, what I intended to say was everybody knows who Winston Churchill is, and then I realized I'm old. So many people know who Winston Churchill is. But Winston Churchill, when the Allies had finally won a victory in World War II, Winston Churchill said to the British people, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is Perhaps the end of the beginning. Now, Winston Churchill was no great theologian, but I think those words can have an application to our lives in our Christian walk. Whatever you're facing this new year, it will not be the end. Even if we are to pass from this world, even that will not be the beginning of the end. And on that day when Christ returns, that will not be the beginning of the end, but only, perhaps, the end of the beginning. Live your life like you believe that's true. God, how great you are. Every victory, every battle, there is more to come. Help us, Lord, to keep that in mind. May we go forth today. May we face this new year knowing that you have never failed and you never will. There is more to come. We give you all the praise. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ.